Welcome to Season 11 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the great pleasure of sharing a conversation that I recently had with Dave Ridden. Dave and his wife Anne have had more of an impact on my life than any other people. Over the years, my wife and I have spent countless hours with them, ate many meals and shared numerous cups of tea at their dining room table. Dave and Anne are amongst other things, brilliant leaders, YouTube sensations and just incredible people. Even to this day, my life continues to be impacted by them. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging conversation as I did with the amazing Dave Ridd. Dave Ridden, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for joining me. Where are you phoning from? Uh, well, we're uh, based here in Melbourne. Lovely. Uh, out, out in the eastern suburbs on a rainy Melbourne day, which is a classic Melbourne day. Nice one. Is it is it cold down there? Are you all right? Always. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> nice one. Um, uh, Dave, quite possibly uh, the most important question uh, for our conversation today. What's your uh, what's your coffee order when I can finally buy your coffee? Oh, oh I'm, I'm a bit boring when it comes to coffee. I'm a, I'm yeah. a flat white person. Nice. That's me. Sometimes, sometimes a dirty chai. If, uh, if I've already had a flat white, I'll go with a dirty chai. What on earth is a dirty chai? I feel like I should know that. It's a chai with a shot of coffee, I think. <laughs> nice one. And a cool name. Nice. Uh, David, is um, is there a book that you've read uh, recently that has caused you to kind of reconsider a few things in your life? And and I know you're, you're an avid reader. You always provide me with a number of reading recommendations. So is there anyone that you've read recently that sort of caused you to stop and think a bit? That's a great question. Uh I just read, read the Rosie Project. That was a great. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I do love novels. I, I, I flick between um, novels, uh, and I love love Aussie novels, love Australian novels, um, and uh, and then I, I, I sort of switch over to some leadership stuff or uh, or uh, even theology. I just read a terrific mm-hmm. book um, called uh, "Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus," talking about wow. the Jewishness. That's of, cool. Jesus and the fact that all of the, you know, the faith, the, the stories that, regardless of your your um, religiosity or spiritual um, journey, that those stories have kind of gone through the te- through the annals of time. So the prodigal mm. son and the mm. um, pearls before swine and all the ones that are, are all just part of the English language and uh, the uh, our our sort of common vernacular, so yeah. to speak. Uh, these days and um talking about where so many of those stories were rooted so where they came from and the very jewish nature of um the rabbi jesus and uh, it was actually fascinating it was a genuinely fascinating read and i i uh, i gobbled it up amazing mm. amazing um dave is uh, cloud street still your favorite book uh Definitely up there. Definitely up there. Yeah, I think Cloud Street. Uh, look, 
I know everybody loves Cloud Street. Everybody loves <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption. Everybody loves the Power One. But the reason that we love those books is because they are classic and they speak to the human condition and they're amazing. So, um, yeah, Cloud Street's right up there. But it's been a long time since I read it. Tim Winton's absolutely brilliant. Uh, maybe the Power One. Okay. Again, it's been a long time since I read that one. Maybe I need to go back and read it again. Yeah. Mm. I find, I don't know if you agree, but I find the same book can kind of speak to me at different points in my life. Uh, and so I remember reading um, The Kite Runner uh, many, many years ago and then reading it again recently and just getting a really kind of a different message out of it, um, which I yep. think was, and A Thousand Splendid Sons. I remember reading that a number of times and and just, um, yeah, drawing different meaning. Would you would you agree with that? Do you feel like books kind of speak to you at different phases in your life? Oh, absolutely. And I think they really colour your, um, color your world yeah. in a lot of ways. They, 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 they fill in gaps and answer questions that at that particular time you're asking. Um, so, I mean, for instance, last night I was just saying before we started, you know, took my three boys and Anne, my wife, we all went um, to see the latest Indiana Jones mm. movie, you know, good popcorn movie. Right. Um, and uh, and it was funny, I was thinking back, you know, when the last crusade came out, which was, I think, the third one, and it was 1989, I would have been oh, third year university, um, studying journalism, Wow. And and this sort of rollicking adventure, um, and I, I think it I think it it really gave me a passion for um, I guess just you know to a certain extent you know for for adventure for writing yeah um, for chasing stories uh, all that. that sort of stuff so so right at that moment when I was just kicking off as a journalist that spoke to me even though it had nothing to do with journalism it was archaeology but it was it spoke to me and and and, and colored that moment of my world yeah. and then of course last night taking the family out and seeing it again seeing the new one and 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 that one's a completely different sort of vibe I guess now because yeah. now I'm looking for a movie that my 12 year old and my 21 year old both wanted and my 19 year old in the middle all want to see and Anne's happy to see you. So it, it was a completely different experience, but terrific again, you know, it's just, just great to go. But this time it was about, you know, a family adventure to the local yeah. cinema. Let's see, Dave, I, I can't believe you've got a 21-year-old. That is unbelievable. It's amazing. Who's just, who's just about finished his law degree. <laughs> I'm, I'm going in for legal advice. <laughs> Free legal advice, I hope. Um, I hope he's not invoicing you. That's <laughs> that. That's amazing, uh, Dave. Just wondering um, if you could have a dinner party uh, with anybody. Obviously, your wonderful family doesn't count in the head count, but who would you love to sit down with and share a meal? It could be people that are past or people that are currently still with us. Yeah, no, good, good one. Um, who would I love to? Uh... I think uh, it's a bit boring because he lives in my city. But I'd love, I'd love to sit down and have a meal with Paul Kelly, the, the yeah. singer-songwriter. I don't know if everyone, probably the Australian audience is, yeah. is very familiar. I find Paul very fascinating. Um, uh, and uh, just his take on the world. Uh, I've 
you know, sometimes when I'm joking to my boys, I, I'll say to them, you know, all wisdom on earth can be found in the Bible or Paul, Paul Kelly lyrics. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I find Paul a, a fascinating character. He really loved to, you know, have a, have a long meal. Um, probably my dad, as, um, I, because I lost dad early, um, lost dad when I was eight. Uh, and, um, you know, so I think it would be really significant. It'd have to be a long meal, have to be a, an entree, mains, dessert and coffee afterwards. I'd want it to be a long meal, but uh, yeah. I'd probably tell Paul to stop talking about his songs and just listen to my dad. So I'd love to know more about my dad's adventures. He was a sailor. He sailed around the world and all that sort of stuff. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, left us too early. But, yeah, I think I'd love to have a man-to-man chat in a positive sense not man to man as in you know nose to nose but um yeah it'd be great to to have that experience you know at my age that'd yeah. be that'd be pretty amazing I mean, yeah that's pretty, that's pretty special hey mm. and um dave before we get into some of the amazing things that you're working on now and some of your uh, sort of experience and leadership um and, and yourself and, um, and and your wife have had more of an impact, I think, on my life and my wife's life than anybody else. Uh, and so there's been so many conversations, I think, that we've had either in your office or in the hallways or over coffee that have really been um, transformative. And I'd love to maybe unpack some of those um, in a moment. But before um, before we get there, I was just wondering what your upbringing was like. I mean, you mentioned... Um, uh, you mentioned losing a dad at a really young age. Um, what are some of the things that have, I guess, happened in your life to get you to work the way you are today? Because it seems like your life has been incredibly diverse and broad and interesting and exciting. And yeah, give us a bit of a snapshot of, of yeah how you got to where you are today. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Uh, born in Western Australia. Yeah. Uh, raised sort of in, in a country town called uh, Geraldton. Yeah for the sort of early years and then moved to Perth and the capital city. Uh, sadly, yeah, dad passed away mm. when I was just a young fella. Gosh. Um, and, uh, but I was determined, I was very determined, you know, a little redheaded kid and <laughs> uh, very determined not to um, be pitied. Yeah. Even though that's the natural thing and the normal thing and the kind thing for people. I, I just decided, no, no, I'm a strong, strong kid and keep moving forward. And so, I studied and all that. Went to university, as I said. Uh, studied journalism and uh, landed a job at the uh, the West Australian newspaper. It was a great mm -hmm. newspaper, uh, daily newspaper over there. And uh, yeah, just threw myself into that. Really, for kind of for the next sort of ten years, I guess I was just uh, headfirst in journalism, just just loving it. Um, uh, went went from you know your junior sports up to crime reporting and then to some That's cool. general and then state politics and sort of ended up uh, you know it was a very political time yeah in the newspaper yeah. so you know, politics was was a big deal yeah uh, so yeah did that for for sort of oh, close to ten years I guess and then um, Sydney Morning Herald. Big paper over in Sydney came and said, "Would I be their bureau chief?" So I stayed in WA and um, reported for 
for the SMH and uh, and the Age newspapers. So good. Wow. good there's, there's some big, there's some hard hitting newspapers there. Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah, they, they were great. Yeah, and they, they were great, and they were actually great people to work for. It was a weird job because <laughs> you know you're the bureau chief in WA, so you're in this kind of isolated part. Um, and I'm not sure that big city Sydney were that interested in WA. So it was a strange job. You know, it had to be a big story right. to, um, to get on their radar. But that was kind of amazing, though, because it meant that that's cool. For several years, I just covered, I only covered the big story of the day or the week. Yeah. And, uh, so I was, I was, you know, I had a lot of fun and that's facing cool. cyclones and uh, lost People lost in the desert and, uh, you know, Rose Porteous, whatever her shenanigans, whatever she was up to, Gina Hart's wow. case. Uh, it, was, it was a bizarre, bizarre few years. Um, and during that period, I had um, uh, met Anne and um, we dated for a while and then um, got married when I was 25 years old. Yeah. And uh, also during that period had, had really um, had really come to faith. So in uh, sort of in mm. university had really um, uh, just, I, I suppose, started mingling with, with some of the, the, yeah. the Christian crew. Yeah. And, um, much to my mum's delight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not mine. I had probably ulterior motives, but, uh, you know, anyway, they, they, uh, yeah, wow. they sort of showed me, uh, an interesting and a different way to view the world. And, um, and eventually um, uh, that became a, a really important part of my life. Mm. And uh, as a result of that, so Anne and I, we, we, we were, Anne was, Anne was a dietitian. Yeah. I was a journalist, so we kind of doing quite well professionally, but we started throwing ourselves into um, uh, youth, youth work. So helping young people in a city, part of the city called Armada, which is a very tough part of the city. Yeah. Um, probably the toughest part of Perth, end of the railway track, um, high um, Indigenous, high crime, high everything. Just everyone was high. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> it was high. It was it was wild and we fell in love with the place and we fell in love with the local Noongar people. Love that. Um, and the schools were rough and they loved us because we were willing to be involved. And so we ended up um, mm. helping raise a whole a martyr, martyr, the wrong word, phalanx of, uh, of um, young yeah. leaders uh, who just were passionate to help. Yeah. Uh, Help the locals and running great. Dave, can I can I just ask you? I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole sort of there's many other chapters after that um, yeah. of life and and some amazing things that that you and Anne are doing. And we'll get into that in a moment. But what did you um what did you learn about leadership during that time? And so you were someone that was working, as you said, in a really rough um, area of WA with some kids that uh, respectfully people might have forgotten or sidelined mm. what were some of the things that you learned about leadership during that time and and how did it form you well I guess one of the things you know you start out life a lot of people start out life you pretend you think black and white so you think um you think that uh 
you know, there's right and there's wrong and there's black mm. and there's white and there's yeah. my way and there's all the other ways that are wrong. Yeah. And I think the uh, one of the things that um, that dawned on me over time, not, not initially, I was probably black and white as everyone else. <laughs> yeah. But uh, definitely just that life is complex and nuanced and and young people are, and young people can be painful and beautiful all at the same time. They can be um, they can be troubled and 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 peaceful. And you know, you can have this sort of great dichotomies going on where you're like, these kids are amazing, and yet they they're making my hair turn white <laughs> like so it's it's all of that so so embracing the gray so dave you um and Anne were recently married and i think most people once they get married they want to kind of bunker down and have an easy life but you both chose to invest um significantly into young people in western australia and talk me through that a little bit why uh why did you choose that and what were some of your kind of driving motivators for that because most people wouldn't most people just want to get a dog get a nice house and and take it easy but but you guys chose an alternative route yeah no we had a dog too <laughs> and a <good> boy. <laughs> Barkley. Barkley. oh I don't know. it just it just it just grabbed my heart and yeah. and I I think the thing that we realized was because these kids had so very little it didn't take much for them to be grateful yeah um so you know if you put on a a simple summer camp for instance yeah just go to the campsite you get a bunch of leaders you put a bit of music on you take them out whatever swimming or to the to the drive-ins with a whole bunch of kids you know great simple though not not super hard Uh, some of these kids are 14 and they've never wow. been on a holiday, never been on a holiday. And so I think there was things like that where you just realised, I don't need to be the most brilliant person or certainly the, the wealthiest or the, the most highly educated person to genuinely make a difference. These mm-hmm. kids were just super grateful that somebody bothered coming down to Armadale and... Um, and putting in the effort. And so we did, we did put in the effort. And, uh, and my wife is quite a brilliant person and uh, is, yeah. uh, creative and all that. And so um, we just decided we were going to, we weren't going to, because I guess there was a lot of people who would say, well, now that area, just keep it simple because it's messy and it's awful. You've just got to have good, good parameters, keep it safe, make sure nobody dies and um they're all important things like <laughs> they are important things and we did all those things but then we went yeah you know why should why should the wealthy or the middle class mm. kids get the greatest experiences while our kids are you know throwing a ball up against the wall so we decided no we're going to make this thing amazing so we ended up building a, a youth ministry as it was called uh that was just phenomenal and 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 huge, you know, we ended up having literally oh, maybe two to two fifty, maybe even sort of peaking at three hundred teenagers there on Wednesday nights and and Fridays, and doing huge community events and festivals, and 
Oh, it was just so good. It was just, a, it just, and it be quickly becomes a great passion in your life. So I, I would, I would work as a journalist, and then kind of all week be on the phone, and by then Anne had sort of gone part time as a dietitian, and she was um, on staff helping make help, basically yeah. helping the youth ministry flourish, um, and then I would sort of Friday afternoon. Um, I would uh, jump in the car and and just rip down the the freeway, changing out of my tie and my suit as as was journalist garb at the time, and yeah. put on a an oversized t shirt and a beanie, and you know, and so by the time I got out of my car, I'm hey, I'm, is, that, is that hip, <laughs> cool, or at least half cool? That's so yeah. Uh So yeah, it was a. It was great, and we actually made we genuinely made great friends. Um, you know the the leaders that we gathered around and and who gathered around us became just just great mates, and and I'm still in touch with many many of them years later. I love that, and there's I, I find myself over the years um, quoting so many um, what my wife and I call Davisms. Um, which are basically quotes that that we've heard you say. Um, we attribute them to you. I don't know if that is the case. No, they're all mine. They're, they're all they're of them. And, and and one of them is, um, and and I'd love you to unpack this if if that's okay. Is that um, I've sat in many many leadership meetings with 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 both of you, and 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 um, I'm incredibly grateful for that. And one of the things that I've one of the quotes is that that nobody shouts and nobody. Oh, yeah. And why, um, why do you think that's important? Because I find myself even like I, I, um, I work in a school now um, and I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I was sharing that with my, with my team. Um, and I said, it's really important to remember as we come to the end of the term that, um, that we are present with our students, that we're looking at them in the eye, that there's no need for shouting, there's no need for running take it slow. And so your Davisms have somehow infiltrated into my workplace. But uh, why is that important? And, and yeah, would you mind maybe unpacking that a little bit, please? Well, yeah, nobody shouts, nobody runs. Actually, it was a very pointed lesson when it was first, when it first came to me, um, because I'd moved to Sydney, Anne and I moved to Sydney, um, where we met you and Aziza. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and some brilliant people, Tim. And, yeah, brilliant. Uh, Baz and you know just just amazing Christy, brilliant people. Uh, but there was it was the environment that we're in. It was a little bit of a crisis time, mm -hmm. and in all honesty, there was a bit of shouting and running. And uh, and I sort of came in as I guess this outsider, and that was my job. Okay, Dave, you're here to be fresh ears, fresh eyes. What are you saying? I was like, there's a lot of shouting and running. A lot of running. And, um, and I, think it, I think it's unnecessary because when somebody shouts and when somebody runs, all eyes go to them. Mm -hmm. So even though their intention might be good and, and you know, now the, the proviso in this, if, if the school building is on fire, <laughs> shout and run, absolutely. That's but right. if the school building isn't on fire, the chances are you can you you don't need all eyes to be on that moment, uh, you know. And it's just one of those old principles. If there's a if there's um, something that needs to be corrected, it can probably 
and, and I'm not a teacher, so I'm not speaking directly to teaching methodology here, but there's a good chance that correction can be done in private. And in doing so, you can preserve the honour and face of the mm. student. Mm. Um, if there's praise, praise can be done in public. Now, again, I understand that there are teaching dynamics. When you've got 25 students and Billy just wants yeah. to be the centre of attention. I get it. I get it. There were times where I was Billy. Um, and yeah. so I'm not speaking directly to that. But but in a lot of environments, when we shout or when we run, when somebody blurs past what happens everyone watches That's where right. are they going what's wrong what's you know what what, what what's the crisis yeah. and i think a lot of crises don't need to be public yeah I we agree. have a unfortunately i mean ann and i our world a lot of it now is in social media and so we're we're firmly embedded in that world and we see crises being blowing up for, for views. Yeah. We see, you know, tea being spilled, as they say in the YouTube or for views. That, yeah. And people love that stuff. There's something about human nature. I mean, I was a journalist. There's no such thing as a good news story. If it was, it was on page six. Um, bad news was always page one, three yeah. or five. Um, you know, yeah. those, those odd pages. And so bad news sells. And unfortunately, crises sell. And so there is something about human nature that yeah. says, where's the crisis? What am I missing out on? Where's the goss? Yeah. And, um, I think there's a lot to be said for being calm. Yeah. Uh, striving at all times to live peaceably with people, yeah. even people that you stridently disagree with. I, I don't need to publicly argue with anyone. Yeah, that's right. It's... I mean, Dave, there's so much in that. There's almost a sort of a, a leadership series in itself uh, in that quote. Um, and I know, like, I mean, you know my um, my wonderful children and being a parent of young kids can be challenging. And I know, and, and I, uh, my wife and I are definitely not shouters and screamers, but there are definitely times where we get frustrated at them. And oh, yeah. like last night, um, <laughs> they were up all night. And what I've noticed when I am a little bit ratty or a bit snappy at my kids, it's quite often a um, a reflection of what's going on in my world, not necessarily theirs. Mm. And so um, it's for me, like I, I think I it, being a parent has really made me sort of stop and think and make sure I'm looking after my own internal dialogue and my own uh, investing into myself, whether it would be what I'm reading or what I'm or exercise, whatever that may be. But um, how important do you think that is kind of as a leader? I mean, you talked about um, being calm and moving slowly, but um, is there anything else that you'd, you'd, you'd like to add around that? I mean, how do we keep that sort of internal world sane? I mean, I know you're, you're sort of speaking from a ministry perspective and obviously faith yeah. is a really important aspect of that, but is there anything else that you kind of do to keep that internal world in check? Because if you were to run or shout, I would be... I don't think I've ever seen that. <laughs> oh, it's happened. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> it has. Yeah, uh, and and kids are a whole different kettle of fish, you know. But but yeah. again, that's I think that's a learned thing because certainly when you're you're a young parent, kids are just you know pencils stuck up their noses and you know all that sort of stuff. There's there's a fair there's a fair temptation to have a bit of a shout. 
and yeah. ran. Um, I think as maybe just as you you, you go on, you um, well, I think you you have to target things and you have to decide. Okay, and and I, I remember specifically a number of years ago making a decision. Okay, I have to be calm in my interactions with my teenagers because they are learning. Um, they are learning how to adult from yeah. dad. Yeah, and if dad is full of, you know, just just snapping and grumpy and and do what I'd say and all that sort of carry on that we just slip into. I sometimes think sometimes just because we're exhausted. Yeah. Um, and so it, it wasn't an immediate thing, but it was definitely something that I just had to go, right, I've got to somehow learn the art of communicating with teenagers, which is something that I've always done. Yeah. But with your own kids, it's quite different. And maybe teachers find that as well, where you, you can hold the attention of a class and, and and all of that sort of thing. But then when when your own 13-year-old is telling you whatever, they don't want to clean their room or they don't want to do this or you're so old or you're so this, and it just it just gets to you. It gets under your skin when it's your own kin. Yeah. And um, so uh, right. it's definitely, it's a learned art and it's something you have to focus on. You know, um, I, I'm a firm believer in, in the fact that we, we uh, head in the direction. Uh, no, we, no, we, I don't want it to sound weird, but we get what we ask for. That's right. I agree. We, we often well, read what you say. There's another one of those yeah. famous old, uh, famous old uh, biblical line yeah. that yeah. has just That's made true. it into into society um if we decide that that's the direction that i'm going yeah and you make smart steps and you forgive yourself when you when you make a backward step then you're probably in the long term you're going to end up more or less going in that direction you may not get the dream you may not be ever the dream parent or the dream teacher or whatever but you are going to head in that direction and yeah. i think that honestly for, for humans sometimes we need to forgive ourselves as well i agree yeah. really it's a really important thing you know people people we're our harshest critics and we we smack ourselves around for the the things that we did wrong or you know the time you whatever shouted at a class or shouted at your kids or or did something wrong and we just need to go okay i'm just i'm a human having this experience and i'm doing my best and I'll keep moving forward. And, yeah. and if you didn't do your best, then dust yourself off and do your best next time. Yeah. Dave, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I was just wondering, um, how do you define uh, leadership? Because you, um, and I, I think it's really hard to explain to people that are listening here, just the, the impact that both um you and your wife have had not only on my life but also on lives of of, of countless uh, people um across our country and 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 across our world and um i don't know yeah i'd just be interested to hear how you define what leadership is um because i feel like it's a concept that has kind of changed over the years somewhat mm -hmm. um perhaps i believe leadership is being willing 
to be vulnerable or close enough to somebody for them to see the real you and follow that as an example. Yeah. So it's being willing to be an example. There's a lot of people who do a lot of good things, but they're not really willing to be an example. They don't want to be. Hmm. Um, they just want to get about life and I'll build this and I'll build my thing and I'll get a house and I'll do that. And, and if people choose to follow me or whatever, then so be it. Or if yeah. it's my job description, then so be it. Uh, I think true leadership is allowing people to be close enough to you that they can see the real you and hopefully see something in that. That's a good example. Yeah. So um, allowing people to be close enough to you that they can see your marriage. Yeah. And see that it, see that there's a there's something to model on i mean that's great leadership isn't it to be close enough to people that you you're just in their lives over the coffee table now this is this is obviously a form of leadership there's other leadership that happens from a you know a conference conference um pulpit or from a um from a book from a podcast uh but it still has to it has to uh, have an element of authenticity especially today, because I think there's so much bulldust around these days. So many people are saying things that they don't believe. Mm. Um, so, so many people doing things for views or clicks or fame, and they really don't believe them, but they understand that this will get me a following. And that, that's the, unfortunately, that's the, the spirit of the age is, is fame, fortune, controversy, um, it clicks and and that's how we measure somebody's success mm. and um yeah and there's Absolutely. an element of leadership to that it's just where's yeah. it going <laughs> dave I, I feel like your experience uh in leadership has also been a little bit different because um mine for the majority of your uh, i mean <laughs> career is the wrong word but majority of your a time leading and influencing people that you've been working with volunteers. And mm-hmm. so it's not as if you can say, hold a paycheck over someone's head and say, if you don't right. do a job. So does that bring another element in? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Re- volunteers, in? the currency of volunteers is relationship. Mm. So if you want great volunteers, you have to be willing to invest in them as people. Mm. People want to be seen they want to be encouraged and they want to be empowered. And I have found people are, are really happy. Like I'm surprised at the amount of energy and passion that people come at something when there's a when there's a common goal. And I guess for yeah. me, that's often in a faith environment. And so the common yeah. goal is, you know, building a youth ministry, building a young adults ministry, building a conference, building a church. Um so that that's that's a great unifying thing that we rally around a flagpole, if you like, that we rally around. But even those things, why do people rally around your flagpole? Well, yeah. because I think if they see something genuine, if yeah. they see genuine people, faith, life, and relationship, and and they get to be um, part of your world, and it's it's not it's not um, a one way street either, like. The friendships, genuine friendships that I have with people like yourself and, and Aziza, Baz, um, Tim, Benno, uh, 
you know, Dave, Leighton, the people that yeah. I've, I've only ever, I volunteered for them, they've volunteered for me. We, we've just been in the trenches for a couple of decades now. <laughs> um, it's a two-way street. So, so yeah. the relationship is that I'll come and be within my aura and, you know, some of my greatness will rub off because I have no greatness. It's yeah. just me. And um, if you like something you see, great, I can speak into it. And, hey, maybe I like something I see in you and you yeah. tell me. So it's a two-way street. Because, um, Dave, going back to um, kind of leading in a crisis, I think when you are talking before about um, nobody... Uh, runs and nobody shouts mm. is there a temptation in a crisis just to kind of put out fires and not build those relationships because mm. building relationships takes a long time I mean we've known yourself and Anne for gosh I don't know 15 20 mm. years maybe a really long time um, and there's a genuine connection there and that takes time but yeah is it I mean how do you kind of prioritize when you're when you're in a crisis about what to do because yeah, there would have been a lot going on at that time. It was a strange time. When we first arrived in Sydney, we were surprised that almost the first question that not just one person, but person after person after person would ask us was, how long are you staying? And I think it was because in that environment, they'd had so many people, good people who had left, yeah. that when we turned up, these you know little, little folks from Perth, the assumption was, look, you'll be here for a little while and then you'll bail. And um, our answer was, well, we've got no plans, as in we're, we're just here. Wow. And, uh, yep. We're just here to, to build and to stay. And eventually we did leave after eight years, but by then the crisis had been well and truly dealt with and, and, and uh, things were on the up and up. Interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... But there is a tendency, you know, when there's a crisis, of course you bunker down and and there's also a tendency to just, you make your world smaller yeah. by um, you you only talk, you know, you talk to fewer people, you uh, trust fewer people, yeah. you end up loading up those very few trusted people and then if one of them stumbles, somebody quits or somebody moves on or somebody gets sick or something, then the crisis is compounded again mm. because now it's even the trusted ones have failed. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, and it's really a, a self-perpetuating cycle where because people fail and people stumble and people are the, people are the central character in their own story. And so while you, yeah, <laughs> you're the true. protagonist in your story, and so everybody else is a, either a, you know, a bit player or, a, a, you know, a, a co-lead or an NPC in your world, um, for them, that's exactly the same situation. And so while you might be, oh, this is a massive crisis, this thing is going on in my life, and I cannot believe that all these people aren't swirling around and giving me what I need right yeah. now. But their world's completely different. They might be going through financial issues. They might have marriage issues. They might have stuff going on with the kids, health things. And so one of the lessons that you learn is to, to not bunker down, as tempting as it is, but to keep your world big, keep your heart open yeah. and try to, I guess, 
try not to just rely on people. So for me, obviously, faith has been a big thing. So trying in crisis to make sure that I have a bigger worldview than just me and my wife and and my sister and my best mate and this this one and this one because if I can have a bigger worldview then then I guess I can see crisis from a thousand Mm. foot in the air yeah go right this that's really true this too will pass this this will go um and look yeah I don't want to sound like some old guru, guru you know I there have been sleepless nights for me and there's been health issues, you know, health, health moments where you go, you're just tossing and turning in bed going, help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I feel I feel in anguish. We almost lost our son a number of years ago yeah. in a horrible situation. Um, you know, there's been lots and lots of things. So I'm not just trying to come and give you platitudes. I suppose what I'm saying is... Um, most crises, it's a hard word to say, most crises do pass. Yeah. And uh, it's important that we have something on this earth to anchor yeah. us yeah. to a big picture. And and I remember, Dave, um, obviously working with you um, for many, many years um, in young adults ministry and, and mm. church life, and, and it was uh, some of the... Uh, some incredibly formative times and I remember that tension though like I just started working full-time and I was like aspiring to become a leader and all of my friends that were leaders in schools just went home after school and watched tv and ate pizza and went to bed but for me like um I had to <clears throat> quite often get changed in the car park put a cool t-shirt on as you said and a beanie <laughs> and a beanie um and have something and there was something else that I was really committed to and and I felt that tension to be honest because it would have been very easy to go home and eat pizza and well there's no Netflix then but put on the put on a VHS um <laughs> and but I'm so grateful that um because that time really stretched me um and some of the best relationships and relationships that I still have to this day were really formed in that time um I think of my great friends Tim and, and Brendan and all these people that have big lives but made a decision to kind of do something which was beyond their circumstances and um i'm so grateful you used to say as well if you want something done get a busy person to do it Um, (laughs) i don't don't think i made that one up i was definitely but but we also don't have time to to sit around and i mean there's you don't have time to sit around and have three or four coffees and think about it sometimes we just need to get stuff done um but uh yeah really really grateful for that time And, and and dave you're um your life has changed sort of somewhat. I mean, you're sort of inadvertently, a, a, you and your wife are YouTube sensations, uh, <laughs> yes. which is, which is kind of, to, to be honest, it's kind of hard to believe because <laughs> um, I remember when you first moved to Sydney and um, I, I believe you were living, um, I think it was in Engadine, relatively local, yes. locally, and uh, going to your house and thinking, gosh, who are these, who are these people? <laughs> and now you're, um, you and your wife run a, a media empire um what's that been like has that been hard to get your head around and also what's it like working um again with your wife but in a different kind of capacity yeah, what's that been like yeah look um yeah hard to get ahead around yeah yeah it is. I mean, we've been doing it for a long time now so 12 yeah. 12 years so um when our little guy came along jed 
uh, he was quite sick and um uh and you know had to feed all through the night and so and so she didn't fall asleep she began sort of with one hand you know cradling the baby with um one hand the other hand she was she was coding this website called how to cook that where okay. she was going to, she's a dietitian so just get up loads some recipes and some baking tips and, and that sort of stuff and, uh anyway then decided oh some of these are quite complex i'll 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 throw it up on this relatively new, not new, but relatively new website called YouTube. And um, lo and behold, uh, it found an audience. And it was back in the time, back in the day before algorithms dominated and AI had kind of turned everything into clickbait and controversy where actual quality content um, <laughs> would, uh, you know, would find an audience. And it kind of helped that Anne was really, I think she was about the second or third baker you know, cakes and desserts and all that sort of stuff. She was, there were only about two or three on the entirety of YouTube. And so um, here she came as this very well-educated, well-spoken, um, fun person with a weird Australian accent that <laughs> the world just sort of embraced. And before we knew it, we had, oh, I don't know, about a million people a month watching, which was just stunning at the time where we're living in this Little house, we got no money, no money. We come backwards every year, and yet somehow we've got this audience that um, it's crazy. Oh well, maybe we should. Anne was filming on an iPhone three or four or something. No lights, no setup. We we kind of stretched to buy a computer so she could edit the videos. And I love that. Yeah, off we went, and so yeah, so we did that for a while, and then. We, we thought let's just throw into this and I I, I um, shifted some of my time and 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 went and helped Dan with I guess some of the media and the comments and the brand stuff that we were that I was I was good at and Anne's a dietitian and she studied as a pastry chef as well so Anne's just brilliant at all of that sort of thing yeah. as well and then she's gone and learned how to film edit do lighting sound you know she's just she's a self learner yeah. and is quite extraordinary she, yeah all and so Anne has really built quite a incredible thing that that sits quite comfortably alongside um you know some of the channels that we compete with so to speak in terms of in that food space they are you know they're owned by billion dollar companies their productions are They've got a sound person, lighting, a producer, a manager, a host. Uh, you know, they might have seven, eight people working on an episode and uh, and does that herself. Love that. You know. So we, I remember we, your um uh your, your original sort of filming space. It was your your kitchen. Um, yeah. And then that then you moved into a, a you were in some of our videos, you ate the giant Snickers. I, I did. I, it's funny you mentioned that. I showed that to my class the other day because we were looking at procedures. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were, I think I have a beard at that time. Uh, in oh, that you were cool. Was very <laughs> cool. Um, but now you've sort of moved in. I mean, you've got a um, a studio set up. Um, it's like a, it, it's like a Hollywood. It, look, it looks, it, it's amazing. But Pretty you've got cool. a studio yeah. set up in your, in your garage. And it's, it's, were you expecting it to become a thing? No, we actually always expected it to die. Interesting. Uh, and, yeah. and it has had a few times where it, where it looked as though it was dying because that's what happens. YouTube is the entertainment business. 
And of course, MASH was a great TV show, the biggest TV show, but it's not around anymore. Friends was enormous, but it's not around. Seinfeld was enormous, but they had their season and they were done. So we definitely, you know, we rode a great wave of interest in YouTube when YouTubers were big, huge, and, you know, people flying us around the world. Great fun. Doing appearances, show, you know, you turn up in LA and 200 people would rock up to get a signature. Quite weird and strange and hilarious. But we kept thinking, oh, it'll it'll fade because let's face it, we're not cool. <laughs> we're we're all, we're we're not nineteen year old kids dancing on TikTok who have got an enormous one. But anyway, it just it changed. And so it, it, there was times that we really thought. I think about two thousand and sixteen, seventeen, the algorithm had shifted, and what we noticed was um, uh, cakes, desserts, uh, desserts those sort of just straight recipes were just no longer getting views. Uh, and we had to figure out, okay, do we want to stay in this space? Do we want to shift? And I guess this is a good point for everyone. You know, the, the thing that you did so successfully in 2012, 13, 14, 15, and, and it may have even been your thing. Anne was always the cakes, chocolates and desserts person. And if you look at older videos on how to cook that, you will, you know, they're, they're hair-raising. Some of the stuff is phenomenal. Yeah, it's it really is. Super creative, you know, Roy Lichtenstein Wonder Woman paintings made out of solid chocolate that, you know. Minecraft, that's one of my favourite. Minecraft, oh. cakes, and, oh, and you know, Prince Harry, 3D, Prince oh, Harry bust. <laughs> so phenomenal stuff. But what we realised is that those things don't work anymore and so and we, we we i guess we went through a stage of really scratching our head and talking and discussing and figuring out well you know what does work you, you are a food scientist not just a pastry chef so what if we pushed into mm. food science and so Anne began to have a look at some of the stuff that was trending and began to do some debunking of some of the the nonsense that was trending online you know where you you get it a jug of milk and throw in a handful of salt and put in two Snickers bars and yep. put it in the microwave for just 30 yep. seconds. And before you know it, wow, here you go, you've got a wedding cake. <laughs> so, so she began just to debunk some of that. It, that was stuff was stupid, but then there was more sinister sort of things that were actually killing people, wow. some of the viral trends. So she she jumped into them. And even like this week, Anne's just finished editing a video on the fall of Pyrex. Um, so Pyrex, of course, wow. famous household name, um, supposed to be, you know, you could make space shuttles out of the stuff, send it into orbit because it's so strong. Well, the stuff's blowing up. People are getting hurt. 200 people are getting hospitalised hospitalized every year wow. um, from Pyrex and similar dishes because they changed what they changed their recipe of, wow. on, 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 uh, to, on how the um, glass is made. Wow. And, um, so she's really delved right. into that. You should have seen our studio. We literally blew up. Must have been 20 or more. There was just glass flying. We had safety glasses and, and barricades and bits of glass just Amazing. flying all over the place. It was hilarious. That's right. <laughs> Dangerous. But, but we had to pivot. 
So what worked in 2015 didn't in 2016. We would have been dead and buried as a business by 2017 if we hadn't pivoted. And so we... we There's so much in that, Dave, isn't there? Like about being quite unquote married. And even no, maybe now... Maybe now we, we, we're probably at that stage you go, okay, what's the next thing? Because everything shifts. Mm. Every, you know, we've now been of quite a few years of, of this style and mm. there might be something new coming. So, Dave, um, I, I want to talk sort of briefly, uh, I don't want to be respectful of your time, um, but about success because um, you're no longer living in that tiny house uh, in the back streets of the Sutherland Shire when we first met you. And so um, how do you make sure you keep the main thing the main thing? Because I was talking to my wonderful wife last night and saying that Dave and Anne just seem to be the same people that they have always been. Um, it's just now they're media moguls. Um, so how do you make sure you keep what's important Um central and you don't get too caught up in um in sort of trends and the latest thing and how do you kind of maintain that authenticity because you're the same people you just are doing different things now yeah you look you just gotta yeah gotta keep grounded you mm-hmm. know when we went to hollywood so to speak like literal hollywood yeah and we were doing some filming over there and there were you know sets from the previous film there and it was all made of cardboard. Yeah, well, it was made of cardboard. And, and I think that's just a little, um, it just reminds me that a lot of what we see as glamorous isn't. It's just cardboard. And uh, money doesn't make you happy. So the fact that we have, we have a successful business, it doesn't make you happy. Uh, you have to find things that make you happy. You have to find meaning in life yeah. beyond just your earning capacity because your earning capacity could be taken from you or it could increase. Either way, you've got to be at peace with yourself. You've got to be at peace uh, with okay. the universe. <laughs> Sounding a bit spooky there, but you uh-huh. do. You have to find genuine meaning in life. And um, so for me, success is always measured in, Okay, is my wife happy to be around? We work in the same office. And people say, You're crazy, Eddie. Well, we actually really like each other. And we Love really, that. we've always worked together. So for me, success is found in the fact that my wife and I run this thing together. Um, that my kids want to come to the movies last night with me and it's, and we have a great time. That my kids, we have a good relationship. Um, I know that sometimes that's out of, out of people's hands and, and, yeah. But that's what but those are those are really meaningful things. And and there was a time as well, you know, we were just a number of years ago, you know, we were um it was just both Anne and I working full time in the business, and then James got very sick, our, our eldest got very sick and almost died. Got a hospital born yeah. golden staff antibiotic resistant. Yeah. Gosh, I remember that. I think oh, man, it was it was awful, you know, 30 days in hospital, touch and go. And I think in that moment. As he just came out of it, I, I had a real, I guess, a bit of a revelation that, you know, somehow I, I'd shifted from those really pure days where I was working as a journalist. That, that was how I earned my living. But my passion was these great young people and all these 
fantastic Indigenous kids um, out there in the poorest suburbs uh, of Perth. And I had this revelation, man, I've, I've, I've shifted a long way from that. And, uh, and I found a way back. And so I actually um, have always been involved in an organisation called Youth Alive. Um, I was on the board. organisation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I was in a board meeting and they said, oh, we're looking for somebody who's going to train the next generation of, you know, youth leaders and chaplains. And uh, we need somebody really experienced. We don't need somebody young and cool. We need someone really experienced. And we need somebody who probably doesn't need a lot of money, to be honest, because we don't have a lot of money. And I thought, it's me. It's me. <laughs> so I put my head, not my head up, but, you know. At the end of the meeting, I went and spoke to the director and said, oh, mate, I think it's me. And his eyes went wide. He couldn't believe that I would, um, yeah. I don't know, sacrifice. Yeah, Is that a right word? It didn't feel like a sacrifice. It felt like it felt like I was adding a layer of meaning yeah. to something that was already going well. We, we had a good business and we had a good marriage yeah. and kids were, were, were coming, were going great. But I wanted this layer of meaning, and so yeah, oh. somehow squeezed it in, and and um, I, I, I cut back on um, cut back on the, the the hours and days that I was doing for the business, and I added that, and we started this thing called Youth Alive Academy. Yeah, started with eight students, and now we got over fifty students Amazing. in Victoria, and you know several staff, and uh, it has been. An absolute joy and just one of the most satisfying things that I've ever done in life. I love that. Mm. And Dave, it, it's interesting because when you go back to that sort that story of you hurtling down the freeway and getting changed in the car and getting prepared for a for an event midweek, it's sort of the same message, but a bit of a different time. You know, there's other things that you could be doing. You could be increasing views or revenue on your business but yet you've you've come back and said this is the main thing for me and that's to invest into into young people and um yeah and i'm uh, the same beanie <laughs> it's come back in fashion again it is. And, and they don't think of me as a cool guy anymore they think of me as a, a nice old bloke with a beanie <laughs> and i'm off of that dave um i i have talked to you over the years for hours and hours and hours and it's all it, it's always um so insightful but also so refreshing for my soul and I'm, I'm very grateful you said that you would talk to me today um just one final question uh before we wrap up um if I was a sort of a bright-eyed bushy-tailed young man wanting to get into leadership uh what uh what advice would you give me uh yeah get some good mentors around you. Mm. So, so get, and mentors can be podcasts. So, and honestly, and this just sound like I'm putting, you know, wind in your sails here, Maddie, but uh, Matt Green is a great mentor for you in an online space. Uh, th this, this pod and, and others like it are going to, are going to round you out into a really well-formed person. And, and I don't mean that as, that sounds patronizing. That I promise that's not yeah. my intention. But when you're young, you don't know what you don't know, and the best way to fast forward that is to have some good, kind-hearted people, authentic people, who just are around for a long time. So people say, is it quality time or quantity time with with a mentor? It's both. 
if you can get both so so get the quality time but also just lock in and listen to things that you don't normally listen to listen to leaders who you don't normally listen to listen to um preachers if you're that way inclined who maybe you don't normally listen to but they're going to give you a really well-rounded view and we go right back to talking about you know nuance and the, the world isn't black and white it's gray and the best way to do it and i still try and do this now try and get lots of voices and and read and 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 lots of thought that that think differently from me because it's important to know people are genuinely trying their best most people are trying their best and uh and i think that it's it's good to to have different voices speaking into your life and then i think the second thing is find somewhere to volunteer find somewhere where you can do something selfless for other people because it's in that that you'll actually find the joy of it has nothing to do with the the badge on your car too many people get too much self-worth out of that badge on their leased car it it has the joy of when somebody a young person or somebody in need or a it could be a homeless person, it could be somebody that you are committed, not just dropping a couple of bucks, do that by all means, but you're actually committed to being in their world. That is so much more satisfying than what you earn or a paycheck or a badge Amazing. on your car. Amazing. So yep. get good mentors and find an outlet, find an inlet and find an outlet. Yeah. I think that's so important, Dave. And, and I know I've, I've said this to you previously, but it's I think it's important to have it uh, archived in recorded form. Um, you and Anne um, have, we, my wife and I have so much to be grateful for, for you both. Um, there have been years and years and years of investment. You have made years and years of investment into our relationship, into our leadership. And I just wanted to thank you for that because we are living different lives now because of the investment that both of you made into our lives. And we're hugely grateful. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you for giving yeah. me the opportunity today to, to share part of your story. And my hope is that there would be people all over the world listening to it that would that would really get something out of it. So thank you for your time. Um, and uh, yeah, look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, good idea, man. Cheers, mate. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.